Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, last week we had Pastor Stacey with us. Uh, how great was that to have her and Pastor Aaron with us from Melbourne? And she spoke on how worship is a weapon. And so this week, I want to speak to you about one element of our worship and what that looks like. So we're going to look together at a passage in Luke 17. If you have your Bibles, then you can go ahead and turn there. And if not, then beautiful Grace, who's on media today, she's already got it up on the screen for us. Okay, let's read together, starting in verse 11. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus's feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Today, I want to talk to you about the one who came back. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray, God, that we would, we would be a people, Lord, that would be the one that comes back. Lord, to give you praise and honor, Lord, that we would recognize and acknowledge, God, that you are the source of everything good in our life. Lord, everything that we have comes from you. And Lord, I pray today that there would be just a new appreciation, a new gratitude stirred in the hearts of your people, God, as we remember and think of all that you have done for us. Jesus, if you never did another thing for us, Jesus, you went to Calvary and you died so that we could experience eternal life. And Lord, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for you, Jesus. We're grateful for your sacrifice. Lord, would you help us to be a thankful people today in Jesus' name? Amen. So what was Jesus going to Jerusalem for? Well, if we look at the passages that follow this passage of Scripture, Jesus was actually on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. And I can imagine he his mind was probably a little bit distracted knowing the journey that he was taking. But even though he was experiencing his own trial, he was still able to put others first and to see the need in front of him and to want to help others. The first thing I noticed from this passage is it's much easier to be grateful after life has humbled us. There was one thing that set this man apart from the other nine men. You know, these other nine men were most likely Jews, but Luke makes the point of telling us that this one man, the one who came back, was a Samaritan. That means that nine of them grew up with a confidence in their birth that they were the people of God. But one of them spent most of his life as an outcast. The Samaritan people were descendants of Jews who were unfaithful to God by basically intermarrying with the surrounding Gentile people. So they were considered impure and not actually true people of God. 
So they tended to be looked down on by all the Jews. You would think that all of these men would have been humbled by life through their illness. Leprosy is a horrific flesh-eating illness that affects the eyes, the nose, the skin, all of the peripheral nerves, basically. It's highly contagious. And those that were diagnosed with leprosy were actually quarantined and isolated from the rest of society. So this is why Jesus encountered these men before he even got into the village, because they were all living together outside of the village. Jewish law also required that if a person had leprosy, then if anyone were to come near them, they had to yell out in a loud voice, unclean, unclean, so that people would know not to approach them and so that they wouldn't be contaminated. And at the time of Jesus, there was no known cure for this disease. I mean, can you imagine if what we've been through the last couple of years with this global pandemic, if we had not been required to just wear a mask, but if we were out and about, we had to yell at the top of our voice, unclean. I mean, who would want to leave the house, really, if that's what you had to do? You would just want to stay isolated. And then how about being removed from your family if you had this disease? There was no way to pretend or cover it up because it's very visible. And so these people were taken from their families and basically not just cast out of society, but they had to go and live separate to their family. So a couple of weeks ago, I went to see a doctor for a few different things, but she, one of the things she did was to prescribe me this vitamin A cream for my face. I didn't ask for it, but, um, she was explaining to me that it helps with wrinkles and fine lines and sun damage. And, you know, just having to accept the fact that I'm in the middle age category now. I still like to think I'm 26, but I'm not. I'm about to turn 45. And so I need a little bit of extra help. So anyway, she prescribed this cream and said to me, make sure you read all the instructions before you use it, just so you know, you know what to do. So, you know, everybody knows my nickname's Rulesy at home. So I, I read the sheet I know exactly what to do and it said to just use like a pea-sized amount you only need a tiny little bit so I like used half of a pea-sized amount because just wanted to err on the side of caution mixed it with my moisturizer put it on my face said a little prayer it actually does take six to twelve months to take effect in case any of you are looking at me like you still look a bit wrinkly to me <laughs> not that any of you would ever tell me that anyway go to bed that night, wake up the next morning and my face is on fire. Like it feels like I've gotten sunburned. And it did say in the instructions to be very careful around the eye area, around the mouth, which I had been very careful. But I think then when I added another layer of moisturizer, I just kind of did a bit of a general rub all over. And so anyway, it, it didn't look very visible, but it felt like my face was on fire. Anyway, I went about my day. That evening, we actually had a NUMA welcome party, which was really great. We had about 20 people in our home. And um, <laughs> yes, Steph was there. <laughs> she was excited about it. And we had a great time. Well, at the end of the night, beautiful Lorraine, who's not here today because she's unwell, but she came to me in the kitchen and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm doing really well. And she's like, are you sure? I I'm just wondering if you're having some kind of allergic reaction to something. 
So unbeknownst to me, I go look in the mirror and there are just like these dry red patches all over my face. It was very embarrassing. So I explained to her about this cream and then I proceeded to stop using the cream and I haven't used it since, even though you meant to persevere with it. But why do I tell you all that? I'm not, sounds a bit funny now because I'm not at all trying to compare me using cream on my face to leprosy because it's quite different. But my point is oftentimes we don't appreciate things until we witness something that's not or experience something that's very uncomfortable. It's not. So I'm very appreciative for my wrinkles now and I'm very appreciative for my smooth skin. But back to our story. Leprosy alone was not enough to humble nine of these men. When their health was restored, they didn't bother to return and give thanks. But the Samaritan man did. He was humbled by God's goodness, especially in light of his assumption that he didn't deserve healing. I'm going to unpack that more in just a minute. Um, I have a really good friend in the UK. We used to work together. Um, it's over 20 years ago now. And um, she's a beautiful woman. And she got in touch with me earlier this year because she found out that she had cancer in her tongue and she was going to have to have surgery to remove part of her tongue. And so she wanted me to pray for her. And I just, her whole story is incredible, but she's had to do speech therapy. And again, it's amazing the things we take for granted. We probably don't even realize how much we use our tongue to actually speak. But after the surgery, she couldn't speak at all. And she's had to go through speech therapy to learn how to talk again. But she sent me this message after a surgery and she said this, Olivia, I have promised God today that he made the best investment ever in my tongue. I will only ever use it for good things. In the past, I've been too easy to complain and moan and not always say kind things. And I feel so grateful to be reminded how much better I can be. This is a good thing that's happened. So even though she had to go through all that, she is telling me that she's grateful for that because it's made her mindful of the words that she's speaking out of her mouth. And I just spoke to her the other day and asked how she was going. And she said that because of scar tissue, what's happening now is her tongue is trying to fuse itself to the bottom of her mouth because of the scar tissue. So she's just had to go through yet another surgery. And I said to her, that must be so difficult and so frustrating. And she, she said, I want to share this Psalm with you because God's also used this to draw her closer to him. She shared this Psalm from 119 in the message. It says, my troubles turned out all for the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine. Isn't that beautiful? And I just want to take a moment now. I know she's going to listen to this um, podcast later in the week. So can we just join our faith together now in this moment? And I just want to pray for her. Her name's Helen. God, I want to thank you for my beautiful friend, Lord. I want to thank you, God, for how you have continued to reveal yourself to her, Lord. I thank you that she's grown in her relationship with you through this trial. And Lord, right now in this moment, God, I pray that when she listens to this message, Lord, and she listens to this prayer, God, I pray that you would do a miracle. And Lord, I pray that you would fully restore her speech. God, I thank you that there's no more cancer in her body. Lord, I thank you that 
Um, she is going to be able to speak fluently. God, I thank you. I know, Lord, that you are going to get all the glory from this, Lord. She's already telling people about you because of what she's had to go through. So God, I'm asking that you would touch her in her body and that there would be an amazing miracle in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. Thankfulness is all about perspective. When we see life as a gift and that everything that God has blessed us with is a gift, then we can give thanks to him as our source. And this guards against a spirit of entitlement. If there's a lack of gratitude and thankfulness in our lives, it's probably because we have an attitude of entitlement. One of the greatest manifestations of spiritual pride in our lives is an attitude of entitlement. Even though the passage doesn't tell us, I think maybe the nine men who didn't come back likely thought that they were maybe entitled to be healed because of their birth as Jews and with that their obedience to the law. In their minds, God was paying them what he owed them for their work. Do you think that God owes you something? Scripture tells us that we've all sinned against a holy God. None of us deserve anything based on our actions. But God in his grace and his kindness has made us righteous and he's given us promises in his word in spite of our past. I think about how many times I come to God thinking that I deserve something and demanding him to answer my prayers without first thanking him and praising him for who he is and for all that he's already done. You know, Paul in Philippians, he exhorts us to make our requests known to God through prayer and petition. But there's another important thing that he tells us to do, not just to pray and petition him, but do it with thanksgiving. You know, I love it when I've spent time cooking dinner and we all sit down at the table and Jason and all the kids tell me thank you for cooking for them. I mean, it would be normal for them to feel entitled, right? As their mom, it's my job to feed them, to clothe them. But it just makes me feel so appreciated and so loved when they verbalize their thanks and just say, hey, mom, thanks for cooking dinner. And I'm blessed with a family that often do that in our home. If you struggle to remember to give thanks to God, it could be an attitude of entitlement. It was really funny. As I was preparing this, I was all of a sudden, I just remembered this character from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm sure many of you have read the book. And if not, you've probably seen one of the movies. Um, and I'm sure if you know it well, you'll know who I'm talking about. But I remembered this little girl named Veruca Salt. And she was the paragon of entitlement. I want a golden ticket, daddy, and I want it now. I want a golden goose, daddy, and I want it now. Apologies to Andrew and Jill and Phil and Mish and your parents if that was not a very good um, London accent. <laughs> but she was so entitled. Her dad was rich and she felt like just because her dad was rich that she could get whatever she wanted. And usually when there's a spirit of entitlement, what usually goes along with that is a lot of grumbling and complaining. This was the main problem with the people of Israel when they left Egypt. They complained about their circumstances. They complained about the journey, which was actually only an 11 day journey, but it took them 40 years. They complained about the food. I mean, have you ever been around someone who complains all the time? I'm sure it's something we can all admit we've been guilty of. But if you're around people like that, it starts to bring you down. 
after Jason and I were newly married, I was feeling very insecure. I've grown a lot in security over the years, but I have lots of stories about my insecurity. But on this particular day, we'd been to church in the morning and we came home and had lunch. And then that evening, there was a university service on campus that happened every Sunday night. And so we were getting ready to go to that service and I was just feeling insecure. I was 23 at the time. I didn't go to university. So I think I was just feeling a bit intimidated. We're going to be on campus with all these students and I didn't go to university. And so I'm having a whinge about it. And Jason's sitting there and he's just so patiently listening and, you know, he's rubbing my back. It'll be okay. You know, you have nothing to feel insecure about very gentle and loving. Anyway, I just continue to dig a deeper and deeper hole. I don't want to go. I've got nothing to wear. Nothing looks good. Anyway, um, finally, Jason cracked it. And I think it was actually the Holy Spirit that came on him. And I'll never forget, we, we were sitting on the edge of the bed. He stands up and he's like, you are going to go into your closet. You're going to find something to wear. You're going to repent to God for your ingratitude. You're going to get dressed and we're going to go to church. And then he just walks out and shuts the door. So I was like, okay, all right. Oh, I have a choice to make. And in that moment, I'm thankful to say I made the right choice. But I noticed as I went and did what he told me to do and started to give thanks to God for the clothes that I had, I was able to find something to wear. And then when we got to church that night, I had a really powerful encounter with God. And I could have missed that moment if I'd have stayed in my bad attitude. Why, why did the Samaritan man come back and give thanks to God? It's because there was no entitlement in his heart. As a half-breed, he grew up being told that he deserved nothing from God. Giving thanks to God will shift our perspective and it will set us free from entitlement and complaining. It's actually been interesting this week as I've been preparing. I've been practicing gratitude and just thanking God for just all the little things, which is why Jason said there's been so much joy in our home this week, because that's not always the case. But it's amazing how when we focus on what we're thankful for, how it changes our attitude. Like, obviously, we've experienced like polar opposites in temperature this week, right? It was 28 degrees on Tuesday and I'm thanking God for the 50 loads of laundry that I did and I was able to peg out. It got dry, fold it, put it away all in one day. And then Friday, we've got a high of 16 degrees and it's freezing. But even then, I was thankful to God that I had errands to run and places to go and it seemed like every time I pulled up to do something, the rain would stop and I would get out and I'd be like, God, thank you. I mean, you know, a little bit of rain never hurt anyone. And I had an umbrella as well, but it's just those little things. It was just God showing me, see, I love it when you're grateful. I love it when you're thankful. And he loves to look after his children and to bless us. There's so much to be thankful for. Thankfulness is the fruit of the meditations of our heart. So I believe another reason the Samaritan man came back to give thanks is because his train of thought was completely different to the other nine men. The other men were possibly thinking, scripture doesn't tell us, but they were maybe thinking, finally, God's given us what we deserve. He's healed us. Whereas the Samaritan man was probably thinking, God is so good. 
He's so kind. He's so generous. He's so loving. I didn't deserve this as a Samaritan man, but look what God has done for me. You know, when we meditate, what we meditate on ultimately will determine the things we speak and the way that we act. Matthew and Proverbs tells us that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. I have another story and all my stories, I'll just say it, are going to be about Jason because he's the gift that keeps on giving. God just keeps using our relationship to make me more Christ-like. So, <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a gift for a lot more reasons than that, but primarily the Lord uses him to make me more like Jesus. So several years ago when all our kids were little, I just remember Jason was at work and he was on his way home and I was a little bit upset because the rubbish had needed taken out that morning. And for whatever reason, he'd not done it. And that was his job to take the rubbish out. So, I mean, when I say it needed taken out, there was rubbish overflowing out of the bin. Like it was falling onto the floor. And for whatever reason, apparently I am the only one that notices when the rubbish is overflowing and falling on the floor. So, and for those of you that have been to our house here in Perth, that's why we don't have a trash can in the house. It's outside the back door. <laughs> Actually, not really. There just wasn't a place for it in our current kitchen, but it helps having it outside the back door because there are still times when the rubbish is overflowing. Anyway, um, I was cooking dinner. It'd been a long day with the kids. And I just kept thinking about how frustrated I was that I just asked him to do this one thing and all he had to do was take it out. It would have taken two minutes. And then I'm thinking I could just do it, but I'm not going to do it because it's not my job to do it. And he should have done it. So I'm thinking all these things. And so in walks Jason, he's excited to be home, comes in the kitchen, give me a kiss. Hey, how is your day? And I'm like, I cannot believe. And then I just, I mean, anybody would have thought that he'd taken the trash and like tossed it all over the house. That's how upset I was. So I told him why, I, well, I actually didn't tell him straight away why I was upset. I was just like, fine, my day's been fine, fine. And he was like, is everything okay? I just, just kind of feels like there's a bit of tension and eventually it came out. So he didn't even go and take the rubbish out there. And then when I told him why I was upset, he wanted to challenge me on my attitude because he knew he could tell that I had been stewing over this for hours. So he was like, honestly, did it ever occur to you to believe the best? Like maybe there was a reason why I didn't take it out this morning. And I'm thinking what possible reason could there be for you to not take it out other than you forgot? Anyway, I can't remember if I ended up taking it out or if he did it later on. But anyway, it when I calmed down and I wasn't as frustrated, it really challenged me because he was right. I had been meditating all day on all the things that he didn't do and how that annoyed me. And so I was like, okay, I know there's going to be another opportunity because that's the way I roll. <laughs> so I don't even remember how many days it was until the next thing that I was upset about. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to practice what Jason encouraged me to do. I'm, I'm just going to see, I'm going to test it out and see if it makes a difference. So I can't remember what I was upset about, but, um, I just remember, I remember I was making spaghetti and I was stirring the sauce 
And I just started to think about, instead of thinking about what I was irritated about, I started to think about all the things that I love about Jason. And I started to think about the way that he loves me, how he gives me his time and attention, how he takes me out on date nights regularly to spend time with me because he knows that's one of my love languages. Um, the way that he's emotionally and physically there for our kids, he's always there to help with homework, answer all the deep theological questions that I don't know the answer to. And what happened is when he came home from work and he came in to say hi and give me a kiss, I was able to greet him with a kiss, genuinely be happy to see him, ask him, hey, how was your day? And then I was able to say with gentleness and patience, Hey, so would it be okay if after dinner we just have a bit of couch time and have a little chat? Because there's just been something that's been bothering me. Which do you think he's going to get a better better response? I think when he didn't take the rubbish out, we probably didn't speak to each other for a few hours because we were both upset. This time we were able to enjoy our family dinner together. And then we were able to sit down and talk about why I was upset. And there was just so much peace. But it only happened because I was able to believe the best and I had a choice in that moment. Am I going to choose to focus on the good and what I'm thankful for? Or am I going to get frustrated? I can't say I've done the latter every time, but I'm getting better. If we want to be more grateful and we want to overflow with thanks to God, then we need to spend more time meditating on just how good he is. Thanksgiving is a choice. The Samaritan man, the one who came back, he made a choice to come back and give thanks. I love what it says here in Psalm 50. This is the message version. In verse 14, it says, Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows you made to the Most High. Giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. So we know that when we show gratitude and we're thankful to God, that it brings honor to him. You know, the reality is sometimes we don't feel like giving thanks. It's often going to require a decision of our will to confess what we know to be true of God from his word and not what we feel like based on our circumstances. It's so important that we don't lower our theology to match our pain. We have to rise above our situation and speak the truth of God's word. Sometimes giving thanks is a sacrifice when all we want to do in our flesh is complain. Back in 2005, I fell pregnant with our third child and we were super excited and it was around the 12 week mark and we had gone away to visit some friends for the weekend. And over the course of the weekend, I started to bleed, which was very concerning. It had not happened with um, Nathan or Sophie. So remember, we called the hospital in Melbourne and they said, look, try not to be too alarmed. This often happens. Um, you just need to try and rest and not worry. There's no point coming to the hospital tonight because there's no ultrasound technicians here. But go to bed, try and get a good night's sleep and come first thing in the morning and we will do an ultrasound. So Jason and I had a choice in that moment to pray, to trust God and to not believe the worst until we could see the doctor and it was a battle we it was a three-hour drive back home we listened to worship music we prayed um by the grace of god we all had a great night's sleep and then we had someone come over and watch 
Nathan and Sophie and we went off to the hospital. And I remember I felt this wave of relief come over me when the ultrasound technician, you know, squirted the stuff on and, and I, I saw our baby on the screen and I was like, oh, okay, the baby's there. And then the ultrasound technician said, look, unfortunately, there's no heartbeat. And I just remember in that moment, I, my heart sank because it was like everything that we'd been believing for and praying for had not happened for us in that moment. And I remember the ultrasound technician left the room and Jason just started to pray. And the presence of God that came in the room was so tangible. And I just remember Jason thanking God. He thanked God that, that I was okay. He thanked God that our baby was now with Jesus in his presence. He thanked God for Nathan and for Sophie and for, for their health. And I believe that's why God's presence came so thick and so strong in that moment, because I couldn't really pray anything, but Jason just started to declare God's goodness and all the things that we were grateful for. And we had no idea in that moment that we were going to go on and, and be blessed with far more amazing children. You know, when Pastor Stacy spoke to us last week about how worship is a weapon, she spoke about how Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 led the army and how we're instructed in Psalm 100 to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And, you know, in the temple, Stacy explained to us that they would praise their way, they would thank their way, sorry, through the gate. Then they would praise their way into the courts. And then when they came into the Holy of Holies, that's where they would worship God. And sometimes we can find it hard to engage in worship because we're trying to violate this biblical worship order. When we don't bring thanksgiving and praise, it's like we're worshiping out of position. Praise and thanksgiving breaks the hard ground in our soul. I don't know if you felt that as we were, as we were singing today. It just kind of resets our attention and our focus where it needs to be. And it's not about tempo. It's not about the tempo of the song, but it's it's the theme. It's what we're singing about. We use thanksgiving and praise to enter into the throne room of worship. And then Pastor Stacey didn't say this last week, but when we were talking afterwards, she was talking about how the priests left the same way they came in, which makes sense. They left praising. I'm sure you've all been in church services or conferences where where we end with a really upbeat praise song. Well, that's not just to kind of wake everybody up again and send everybody on their way. There's a reason why we do that. And it's because we want to fix our attention again on what we're thankful for. And we want to praise God as we leave because none of us know what we're stepping into, right? We don't know what the future holds, but Jesus does. And I know that we have promises in his word that when we focus on him and when we praise and worship him and give him our gratitude. He's, he's, he's going to come and he's going to be there right in the midst of whatever we're going through. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, 
and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you're ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.